All right, this is called double miking. So, um, all right, guys, we got it. Good morning, church. It is, it is really good to be with you this morning. It is a really uh, big privilege for me to get to join you, uh, to get to preach God's word to you. My name is Will Boston, and I'm one of the members of our preaching team and our North Congregation pastor. So whether you're here at downtown or you're at one of the congregations that is streaming this or whether you're joining us online, my hope is ultimately that God would meet you in these moments through the preaching of his word in a powerful way. Now, that might be more than you actually signed up for uh, in coming to church this morning. You might not have really been planning on encountering the living God this morning, but that is my hope for you. It's what I've been praying for you this week. And so um, I'm eager to get into this text. We're going to be continuing to study uh, the gospel of Matthew today. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, we'll have uh, the verses on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And as you do that, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been serving in one of, the, one of the pastors here for the last six months at the Stone, but I've been connected in some form or fashion to the Austin Stone for more than a decade now. And uh, I lived and worked in Austin right after college. And uh, as, a, as a young adult, I was here living and working, and I was dating my now wife, who was living in College Station at the time. And so, yeah, there you go, gig them. Uh, there's some Aggies scattered in here. Uh, and so I would, uh, I would make this frequent trip back and forth to College Station from Austin. And on one of those trips, it was starting to rain just as I was leaving town. And the temperature was also starting to drop just below freezing, which we're all now very, we're, we're all ice driving pros around here now, uh, or at least you know how bad everybody else is at driving in the ice, okay? Uh, I, at the time, though, was totally oblivious. I was just a young dude cruising down 290 to go see my girlfriend, and uh, I was driving along, and uh, I came to this point where I needed to exit one highway and enter onto another one. And as I exited, I began to slow down. I can still remember this very vividly. I, I tapped the brakes to slow down, and my truck just started sliding. And, and sliding uh, not just anywhere towards an intersection, and towards an intersection, more importantly, that the cross traffic did not stop. And so there's huge trucks just going back and forth, and I'm watching them just going back and forth as I'm sliding, unable to stop right towards this intersection. I was doing a lot of math in my head at the time. I was like, can I jump out of the car? Am I going, which is going to hurt worse, getting T-boned by an 18-wheeler or getting skidded up, jumping out of my truck? Those were the, that, was the, that was what I was trying to answer at the time. And, uh, and so at the last moment, just before uh, I had to make that decision, uh, my truck actually got traction and spun around 180 degrees. And so I was sitting there, my life slideshow kind of slowly beginning to fade, the, the slideshow of my life that was playing in those last moments, what I thought, it began to fade. And as, I, as it did, I realized I was facing the complete opposite direction. And turning around in that moment quite literally saved my life. And I, I want to, I'm telling you that because today in the passage that we're looking at, Jesus is going to tell a parable. And a parable is a story that communicates a bigger truth And that bigger truth is that our lives depend on us turning around. Your life depends upon turning around. The path that we are born onto into this world, as we come into this world, is a path that is actually just heading, sliding towards disaster. 
an intersection with God's holiness that will be catastrophic for our souls. And so in our, our day and age, there's predominantly two paths that people are going down, that you're being ushered down. There's two paths that you're being pulled down in this day and age. And those paths are the path of, paths of self-discovery and of self-righteousness. These are two dominant paths in our day and age. I'll explain what those, what those look like. The path of self-discovery looks like this. You discover and, devi- and define truth for yourself. You are the absolute and everything is relative to you. There is no God, or if there is, he or she exists for you. And for those on this path, religion is the problem. Okay? Now, on the path of self-righteousness, this is what that looks like. There is, there is an authority, there is a higher power who has a standard that I ought to meet, and through my efforts, I can attain that standard. And so for those on this path, religion is the answer. And what we're going to see in the text today is that both of these paths lead to the same deadly intersection, both of them. And so whichever road you are on today, the instructions for you are the same. Turn around. And the Bible has a word for that turnaround. It's called repentance. And when I say repentance, there might even be some kind of a visceral reaction. You might, that might hit you with a ton of religious force when you hear that word repentance. And it might stir up a sense of guilt for you. You might have just heard me say repentance and thought, oh, I know. But for others of you, it stirs up a sense of pride. You hear the word repentance and you think, that's right. You guys need to repent. But stick with me, whichever one, because repentance will save your life. And I want you to see in the text that it isn't only the guilt of our disobedience that keeps us from repenting. Not just the guilt of our disobedience. It is the pride of our surface level obedience that can keep us from repenting. Okay, so let's look at this. It's Matthew chapter 21. At this point in the gospel account, Jesus has just journeyed to Jerusalem at the time of a huge festival, Passover, a huge holiday um, for the Jewish people. And so this holiday Passover. And um, he enters into the city and immediately starts disrupting things. Uh, He goes to the temple and he begins rearranging things like he owns the place, right? Flipping over tables here, you go there, everybody move from here. Like he owns the place and effectively challenging the authority of just about every type of leader in Jerusalem. He just starts stepping on toes as soon as he shows up. And, he go, and, and, and so he comes back to the temple the next day after he's flipped over all these tables. And, and they want to know, hey, who authorized you to do all of this? Who who is the authority that you're coming underneath? Who is authorizing this Jesus? But before he will answer them about his authority, he wants them to say where they think the authority of John the Baptist came from. That's where we were at last week in the text. And this is sort of a checkmate question. That's what we, uh, that's what we saw. It, 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 it either, either answer ends up costing these religious leaders one of the two things that they want. It's gonna cost them power and control no matter what. And so it's a checkmate question. They plead the fifth. They say, we're not going to say. And Jesus says, well, then I'm not going to say. And for a long time, I thought this was just a really clever way of Jesus dodging the question. 
I thought this was what we were, what we were witnessing was more Jesus's savvy and, and his divine intellect able to navigate this without having to answer the question. That's what I thought we were really witnessing in that text. But the more I've looked at it, I can see that Jesus is not avoiding the topic. He's not just looking to get out of the conversation. If he was, he wouldn't do what he's about to do. And what he's about to do is tell them this parable that's going to force them to come to grips with the danger that most threatens these religious leaders, these religious types, a danger that I think and that I know threatens a lot of people who are listening to this message today. Not the guilt of their disobedience, but the pride of their surface level obedience. So pick it up in verse 28. He says this. This is Jesus, Jesus speaking. What do you think? I love how he starts that. Hey, let's think about it like this, guys. A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said, said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Now, this is a straightforward story. This is not a, this is not a mystical or a, a, a cryptic story. It's a straightforward story. And honestly, it's one that sounds super familiar as a parent. Okay, it sounds very, it sounds like my house at bath time, okay? Every day, or every day whether we do baths, which we try to do a lot, okay? And, and uh, the number of times that I hear no from my two girls is, I wrote down uh, wild or impressive. I don't know if it's, I don't know what to think of it. They say it a lot. They are four years old and 18 months old. And, uh, and they're so sweet. They're so amazing. Uh, I, I talk, if you're with me for five minutes, you're going to hear about them. You've already heard about them in our first five minutes. You know? um, and so uh, uh, they're amazing, but they're very comfortable telling me no. Okay. And uh, I mean, at bath time, you would think that I was pouring lava on them is how it seems. Okay. And even yesterday, my little one, she, uh, I, she was standing at the doorway. I was like, come here, Emma. And she was just like, no, no, no. But her little feet, you know, a step at a time coming to me. Um, and that's what I care about ultimately with my kids is, uh, is what they do in the moment that my will crosses theirs. In the moment when they want to do something different than I want them to do, what will they do? Why? Because obedience is revealed in their action, not in their words. And I want them to obey because I love them and I'm pointing them towards good things. If one of my daughters was out in the street and I yelled and there's a car coming, I would yell to her, get out of the street. And if she said no and got out of the street, that's all that I would care about in that moment because I want her to live. And so Jesus' question to the religious people in this moment to this straightforward, with this straightforward parable is not a trick question. Who did the will of the father? It's very obvious. It's the son that said no initially, and then he changed his mind. That is who did the will of the father. And that's what a parable allows you to, to do is actually just for these religious leaders to look down on the situation objectively and say, let's look at it like this. Here's a situation, and, and, and here's the one who did the will of the father. But now they're going to have to deal with what this really means for them. And Jesus is going to help them see that. So what does this parable mean? Jesus is going to explain it. The text continues. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. 
And that is to say the tax collectors and the prostitutes are the first son in this story. And that means all the people whose wickedness and brokenness that is so obviously on display for everybody to see that they're gonna enter the kingdom of God before these hyper-religious people do. And so who comes to mind for you when you hear about these tax collectors and prostitutes? Maybe it's drug dealers, maybe it's sex traffickers, murderers, pedophiles. Maybe it's just people on the opposite end of the political spectrum from you that you think must clearly be ignoring God's authority and his commands. Maybe you come to mind for you. You've just been running from God your whole life, ignoring him and his commands. And I'm telling you, this is great news for you today. This is great news for you. Because Jesus says, guess what? Those people are entering the kingdom of God. And just as a reminder, the kingdom of God, when he says that, the, the assumption baked into this text is that you want to be in the kingdom of God. This is the place that you want to be. And I know for certain that this is the place that you ultimately are longing to be, is the kingdom of God. I know that because it's the place, it's a place where the things that break your heart the most, none of them are there. There's no pediatric intensive care units in the kingdom of God. Do you know that? There's no 33-week-old babies who are having surgery to reduce the fluid in their brains like some of my friends have. That's not there. There's no hospitals in the kingdom of God because there's no sickness in the kingdom of God. There's no medicine in the kingdom of God for diabetes or for what seems like your endless depression that you have been walking through. There's no need for the medicine because those sicknesses, that brokenness is not there. There are no funerals, there's no sadness, there's no tears, and there's no pain. I know for certain the kingdom of God is where you are longing to be. And Jesus says, these people are entering into it. Which is why what he says next is so alarming. He says, it isn't just that all these quote unquote bad people are becoming citizens of heaven. It's that they're doing it before all these quote unquote good people with impressive spiritual resumes. But the idea here isn't that they just get in earlier, like some kind of eternal Southwest Airlines check-in race, see who's gonna get in first, who's gonna be in that A-list. It's that they get in instead. They get in instead. So this is great news for tax collectors and prostitutes. But this is alarming news for religious people. The question is why? Why is this happening, church? Verse 32 says this, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Here, Jesus makes it clear. John's message, the one that they wouldn't answer about, John's message in his ministry is backed by the authority of heaven. He came in the way of righteousness, or as another commentator put it, as a preacher of righteousness, showing how it is that we have right standing with God. That's what righteousness is, to be full of rightness and to be in right relationship with God. And John, and John the Baptist came preaching the way to that. And so it didn't matter how messed up these tax collectors and prostitutes lives were before, 
how much they had rebelled against God before. They believed John's message. And what was John's message? Repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Repent of all the ways you have failed to obey God and trust in the sacrifice of another for you have rights, for that way is the way you're gonna have right standing with God. And so the tax collectors and the prostitutes and every one of us who has rebelled against God openly and ignored his commands, we are the first son who changed his mind. That is what repentance means. In the Greek, the word repentance carries this idea of having a new mind. And in the Hebrew, it carries an idea of turning around. And so in a sense, it is changing the direction of your thinking. And therefore, Jesus was telling the religious leaders, you are the second son. You are the second son. They needed to repent, change their mind about their need for repentance. And you might be asking yourself, but weren't these religious leaders obeying God's commands? at least better than the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Weren't they doing that? That's the point of the parable. Their outward appearance, the motions they went, to, went through, the, the worship services that they attended, the tithes that they offered were nothing more than the second son's outward obedience, his yes and failure to follow through. In Matthew 15, verses seven through nine, Jesus is speaking to another set of second sons, another set of religious leaders. And he makes this super clear. This is what he says. He says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. Did you hear him? They worship him with their mouths, but not with their hearts. And so their outward actions mask the same inward problem that everyone else has, a heart that doesn't really love God. They honored him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. It was true then, and it's true today. The path of self-discovery and the path of self-righteousness have this one thing in common. They're directed towards self. Tim Keller says it this way. You can avoid Jesus as savior by keeping all the moral laws. If you do that, then you have rights. God owes you answered prayers and a good life and a ticket to heaven when you die. You don't need a savior who pardons you by free grace. You are your own savior. Self is at the center. And so this means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping them all really diligently. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against him. And so what these religious leaders needed is not to go faster in the same direction. They needed to turn around. They needed to turn around. In John the Baptist, God was pointing these broken religious people to a savior that could heal their hearts, the thing that was broken but they were so busy doing all these quote unquote good things that they wouldn't do the thing that God was commanding them to do, repent. 
And so Charles Spurgeon says it like this, as the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. And they were deceived. And friends, many of us today are deceived. What this parable means is that everyone needs to repent. That's what this parable means. We all need to repent. There's two kinds of people revealed in this parable. Son number one, people seeing their need for repentance. And son number two, son number two people not seeing their need for repentance because of their outward obedience. Do you see that? Both Sons need repentance. Only one son sees it. That is the difference between these two people. That is the only difference. Romans chapter three, verses 10 through 12 says this. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so I, I would imagine that some of you who really are these second sons, in your heart, there's still, there's still a sense of reluctance or resistance to this. And so Spurgeon, just to borrow one more thing from him today, he would talk about this. He'd talk about how Jesus resurrected three different people in his ministry. One was Lazarus, who had been in a tomb for days. And by the time that Jesus would have resurrected him, he would have smelled terrible. That was, the, that was what they were concerned about. They said, don't you know, it's gonna, there's going to be a stench, a stench of death reeking out of this man's body. And then there was another guy who had just recently died, and he was on his way to be buried. And the effects of death were not quite as visible as Lazarus, but they were still visible in this young man's body. And then there was a little baby girl who had just recently, moments before, died. And her body may have still been warm. She may have barely shown any signs or effects of death. The stench of death would hardly have been smellable. But the reality is they're all dead. They all need resurrection. And in your life, the degree to which the, the, the spiritual death that you have had running through your veins, it may not be super visible to everybody else. The stench of death may not be very strong in your life, but the reality for all of us is we need resurrection. Death has touched all of us. We all need resurrection. And so whether you've been living a life of openly rejecting God or if you've been living a life of attempting to earn God's approval through your efforts, repentance is required. But what keeps us from repenting? Well, for the people who see their need to repent, these first sons, you can look at your outward disobedience and believe repentance is impossible or that it's too late to repent. You see your need to repent, but you believe that there's no repentance available for you anymore. You feel like you are too far gone. You're in here. You're somewhere in one of these services sitting next to somebody else who you think maybe, just maybe the grace of God would apply to them, but not to you because you are too far gone. You've sinned too much. If these people even knew the half of what I've done is what you're thinking the addiction I have, the things that I've said, the places I've gone, the ways I've reacted, the things I've stolen, the people I've slept with, if they knew the half of it, they would not invite me back. 
But my friends, look at me. You, you first sons and sons and daughters for you, you're not too far gone. Don't miss what Jesus said. Tax collectors and prostitutes, they're coming into the kingdom of God. Listen to what 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16 says. It says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I, Paul, this is Paul the apostle who wrote a bunch of the New Testament, who also helped murder people. He said, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Oh, don't you know that King Jesus has perfect patience towards sinners like you and like me? What are the things in your life that you think are so bad that they're keeping you from repenting? actually turning to the thing that will give you life. My encouragement to you, reflect on that if that's you. And don't let the guilt of your disobedience keep you from receiving the invitation to repentance that's being offered to you today. Do what the first son did in this story. Change your mind. Now, the guilt of our disobedience is not the only thing that will keep us from repenting. It's the pride of our obedience that keeps us from repenting. It is our self-enhancing selective memories. Do you have any of those? Our outward declarations of obedience, or maybe it's just our promises to obey God at a future date. They keep us from falling completely on the free grace that's offered through Jesus. They keep us from it. It is the money we give, the forgiveness we extend, the hours we volunteer, the affairs we don't have, the times that we don't get drunk. Our efforts blind us to the reality that it's not really God that we love. It's ourselves. And we're trying to earn God's love, if anything, through our actions. What are the things in your life that you believe to be so good, so good about you, your resume being so strong, in these areas, what are those things that are actually keeping you from repenting? And would you do what the second son wouldn't do today? Turn, change your mind about your need for repentance. These religious leaders, they knew that Jesus was talking to them and they didn't repent then. They plotted to put Jesus on the cross. You know, from this interaction, this conversation that Jesus has with these people, okay? He's gonna tell three parables, we'll study all of them. And then afterwards, from there, they were just working to put him on a cross. They were just plotting to get him out of their way. And about 40 days after that cross that they put him on, they heard these words from Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. They heard this. Some of these people who are hearing Jesus say this, they heard these words from Peter. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You killed him. You crucified him is what Peter says. And the authority he has is from heaven. The authority you are wondering about is from heaven. And you know what happened in those moments? Acts chapter two, verses 37 through 39. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. They were cut to the heart. And for my, my first hope today is that God would cut us to the heart, that he'd cut you to the heart because that's where repentance begins. That's where it begins. A cut to the heart isn't comfortable. It's painful initially, but it is where healing begins. Changing somebody's mind is notoriously hard. It's notoriously hard to, to change somebody's mind. That's why I actually have very little hope or confidence in my ability to change your mind about repentance today. I have a lot of confidence and God's ability to change your mind about your need for repenting. A lot of confidence. You have to, when you change your mind, you see, admit that you were wrong about something before. And you have to be cut to the heart to see how infected your heart really was with sin and how badly you really need a savior. That's why healing begins there with that cut to the heart, but it doesn't end there. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. This is important for you if you're gonna understand repentance today and how God's calling you to repent. It's not just a sadness over your sin because worldly grief is sad about the sin in your life. It is, friends, entirely dependent on what you are turning to or in our case, who you are turning to. Do you see this? Why is it that uh, godly grief brings salvation? Because godly grief turns you to Jesus. And so whichever son in this parable looks like you as a son and a daughter, I want you to remember today and listen to me that there is in fact a third son. Jesus Christ is a son who said yes to his father and did what he commanded. He's the only one who didn't need to repent ever. He's the only one. And instead of him repenting, he paved the way for your repentance. He is who we turn to in our repentance. It's not just that you're turning from your sin and, and trying harder. That is what the second son did. It's that you're turning to a savior who has already paved the way for your repentance. He's not, listen to me, a bouncer standing outside of the club that is the kingdom of God trying to keep people out. He is in fact a doctor standing outside of a hospital, waving people in, calling people in that they would find healing in his name. That is who he is. Matthew chapter nine, he is eating dinner with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners and all the Pharisees wanna know what's up, why are you doing this? Why are you hanging out with these people? He says, they need a doctor. I'm a doctor. And so what do we do with this friends? The application today is very straightforward. Repent, repent and believe in Jesus today. Repent out loud is the first thing I wanna tell you to do. It is going to be very uncomfortable, uncomfortable for you to say out loud to God and to somebody else the ways that you have not actually loved him, even in your obedience. 
Respond to the Spirit's conviction in you and confess to God and to his people, to your spouse, to your friend, your community. If you don't have community, man, will you talk to somebody that is here today that can help you find biblical community? We wanna help you find that, a place that you can actually confess, be known, repent. Respond to the Spirit's conviction and repent out loud. It's scary, it's scary for me. Don't you know it's scary for me to do too? Most of my, my repentance in my life has been stunted, not by the fear of what God's gonna say to me when I actually bear my heart and actually pull back the curtain. It's not a fear of God, it's a fear of everybody else, that they're gonna see me for who I really am, the things I struggle with, the ways that I'm broken. It's scary, but there's no other road that leads to life than that one. Don't fear other people. Fear the guilt or the pride that's gonna keep you from repenting. Jesus has already outed us on the cross, friends. Somebody had to die for you. So repent out loud and repent all the time. This is the consistent invitation of the New Testament. Not simply to come to Jesus or turn to Jesus. Over and over again, the proclamation is turn and come to Jesus, repent and believe to do this for the rest of your life until Jesus comes back or you go home. In fact, Martin Luther kicked off the Reformation by nailing 95 theses, statements, to the door of a church. They're like statements that he wants to talk about so that he nailed it to a door. That's how they did it back then. It's kind of, I think that might be a more effective way. So I don't know how Emos feels about that. You can, we own a lot of these other buildings. So nail whatever you need to. But um, Luther said this, he said, when our Lord and master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That's why I'm telling you today, repent out loud and repent all the time. You see, I would drive down 290, that road that I repented on. I would drive down it for years and years. And I would drive past that same spot and I'd always look over and you know what I could see in the grass, the scars from from my wheels that had carved out a picture of my repentance. For years and years, the grass wouldn't grow over those spots. But for you, I don't want you to spend your life looking back at a moment of repentance. Don't try to justify who you are in Christ because you repented once upon a time. Repent today and tomorrow and every day until he comes back. Remember the grace of your conversion if you have trusted in Christ, if you haven't trusted him today. But remember that grace, but don't think that was the last time you needed to repent. I was actually at a playground yesterday with my kids. That's what you do when you have little kids. It's like where you go is to the playground, or at least it's where we go. And um, when we get there, they actually don't want to play on the playground. They just want to sit on my lap. And I'm like, this is great. This is where we come to hang out, me and my kids. But there were some people there, and they were actually... um, uh, a friend of mine I was there with, started, he struck up a conversation and they were talking and uh, somehow it came out that they used to be at the Austin Stone and now they go to a different church in North Austin. And they don't know what I was doing today. So I didn't, and I didn't tell them. I just asked them, how's that going? How's that church doing? Because what we wanna see is churches thrive. We wanna see the Austin Stone thrive. We wanna see every church thrive. So I'm asking, how's that church doing? And the answer was so fascinating. He said, you know, there was a lull uh, kind of a dip after, uh, after COVID. And, um, but now lots of people are coming back. And I thought, that's great. But that's not what a healthy church necessarily is. You see, we want you back engaged, connected, 
thriving, flourishing as a part of this community, but it's not just that you're there. Healthy churches aren't just there, they're repenting, they're repenting. And so I'll close by telling you this, that there was um, a song that was stuck in my head all week and it has a refrain. And it's a refrain that I'm begging God to help you believe. And it says this, you're not finished with me yet. Over and over again, you're not finished with me yet. And so I want to tell you this morning, if you would look at me and believe this, he is not finished with you yet. You tax collectors and prostitutes and addicts and, and people struggling with every sort of rebellion against God, he's not finished with you yet. And you hypocrites, you prideful, arrogant, religious types, he's not finished with you yet. The road to repentance is open and you're invited, friends. And so would you take a moment now and I'm gonna give you the opportunity to just actually take action on this right now and actually begin for the first time or continue repenting of whatever it is that God is convicting you of today as a first son or a second son. I wanna lead you through that by reading the words of a king of Israel who is waiting for another true king of Israel. King David was once upon a time caught in this moment of really terrible sin. He had an affair and then he killed somebody. And in that moment, he was cut to the heart. And he wrote these words and I'm gonna lead you if you would pray these with me. From, they're from Psalm 51. This is what King David wrote in response to this cutting of the heart. He said this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Oh God, would you answer this prayer this morning? Would you cut to the heart those who need to be cut? And would you turn us all now to face the one who can actually extend this mercy to us? The one who funded your steadfast love, who embodied your steadfast love towards us in Christ Jesus, would you help us now as individuals, as communities, as congregations across Austin, Texas, wherever this reaches to whatever heart, would you now bring repentance? Because I'm sure of this, God, that repentance brings us to you, and that's where we want to be. God, would you help us? It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.